Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Always hiding, always running, always feeding. The lot of the exile is a poor one. My castle is broken, and I have no home but the warmth of strangers. Miss Lucy is dead. How was the blood lost or wasted? And why in the pampas are there bats that come out at night and open the veins of cattle and horses and suck dry their veins? In some islands off the western seas, there are more bats which hang on the trees all day Then, when the sailors sleep on the deck, the bats flit down on them, and the men die. The funeral of Lucy Westenra is to happen tomorrow. The undertaker had certainly done his work well. There was a wilderness of beautiful white flowers... When Professor Van Helsing turned the winding sheet gently back, we both started at her beauty. I could not believe my eyes that I was looking at a corpse. The professor placed wild garlic flowers amongst the others on and around the bed. Then he took from his neck inside his collar a little gold crucifix and placed it over her mouth. He restored the sheet to its place and we came away. Tomorrow I want you to bring me, before night, a set of post-mortem knives. Must we make an autopsy? I want to operate, but not what you think. Let me tell you now, but not a word to another. I want to cut off her head and take out her heart. What? The girl's dead. Why mutilate her poor body without need? Why do it? It's monstrous. There are things that you know not, but that you shall know. Will you not have faith in me? I will, Professor. I must. We came back to town quietly, taking a bus to Hyde Park Corner. We walked down Piccadilly. Jonathan was holding me by the arm the way he used to in the old days. Suddenly, he clutched my arm so tight that he hurt me. Mina! Mina, look! He's there! Who? That man in black. I can't look again. Describe him to me. Well, he's he's tall, thin. He has a black moustache and a pointed beard. And what else? Large white teeth. They're pointed like an animal. Yes, yes. Do you see who it is? No. It is the Count. But he's grown young, Mina. It's him. When we got home, I decided the time had come to read the diary of Jonathan's time abroad, for his sake. But before I could start it, the world went dark. Jonathan! Mina? What is it? What's happened? A telegram! It's... Uh, uh, Darling, shall I read it? Yes. (gasps) Oh, my love. Oh, come here. Come here. I was with her. She was... 
A few days after the funeral, I walked over Hampstead Heath to visit Lucy's tomb, alone. A policeman stopped me as I walked away from the place. Excuse me, sir. I wondered if you'd seen a child on his own at all. No. Someone gone missing? There's been a spate of children disappearing on the heath. Well, they'll find their way home eventually, but we suspect there's an animal on the loose. The children are bitten. They all have the same wounds on their neck, and they all talk about seeing and following a, a bloofer lady, they call her. Young'uns, you see, sir. We found a child on Shooter's Hill this morning. Emaciated, it looked to me. He's in the hospital now. I'm sorry. But I shall take special attention. Oh, thank you, sir. 23rd of September. Jonathan is better after a bad night. Dr Van Helsing has come and gone. What a strange meeting. I gave him my written account of all the recent events. He bowed and settled himself in a chair with his back to the light. He became absorbed in the papers, whilst I went to see after lunch. When I came back, I found him walking hurriedly up and down the room. He rushed up to me and took me by both hands. Oh, Madam Mean, how can I say what I owe to you? These, these papers opened the gates. And your husband, tell me of him. Is he quite well? Is, is all that fever gone? And Is he strong and hearty? He was almost recovered, but when we were in town on Thursday last, he, he had a sort of shock. He thought he saw someone who recalled something terrible, something which led to his brain fever. You think me a fool and Jonathan a madman? Uh, I have learned not to think little of anyone's belief, no matter how strange it may be. May I give you the copy of Jonathan's journal when abroad? You'll read for yourself and judge. So he took the papers with him and went away. And I sit here thinking, thinking I don't know what. Renfield has become, to all intents, as sane as he ever was. I had a letter from Arthur, written on Sunday, and from it I gather that he is bearing up wonderfully well. Van Helsing and I discussed the children who'd been going missing. Well, the injuries these children sustain? It is like Lucy's. Two holes puncturing their neck. Mm. And uh, what do you make of it? Whatever it was that injured her has injured them. That is true indirectly, but not directly. Do you mean to tell me, friend Jack, that you have no suspicion as to what Miss Lucy died of, not after all the hints given, not only by events, but by me? Of nervous prostration following a great loss or waste of blood. And how was the blood lost or wasted? My thesis is this. I want you to believe. To believe what? To believe in things that you cannot. You think, then, that those so small holes in the children's throats were made by the same that made the holes in Miss Lucy? I suppose so. Would it were so? No, it is worse. Far, far worse. What do you mean? They were made by Miss Lucy. Are you mad? Would I were? Tonight I go to prove it. Dare you come with me? Yes. We dined at Jack Straw's castle, along with a little crowd of bicyclists and others who were genially noisy. About ten o'clock we started from the inn. It was then very dark. At last we reached the wall of the churchyard, which we climbed over. We found the Western Ra tomb. Van Helsing went about his work systematically. Holding his candle, he located Lucy's coffin. Another search in his bag, and he took out a turnscrew. 
What, what are you going to do? To open the coffin. You shall yet be convinced. Are you satisfied now? How can you account for it not being there? Or perhaps a body snatcher. Some of the Undertaker's people may have stolen it. Come with me. He put on the coffin lid again. We opened the door and went out. The 27th of September. It now seemed madness to open the tomb again when we knew that the coffin was empty, but Van Helsing insisted. The place was unutterably mean-looking when the sunshine streamed in. Van Helsing walked over to Lucy's coffin and I followed. He bent over and again forced back the coffin lid and a shock of surprise and dismay shot through me. There lay Lucy, seemingly just as we'd seen her the night before her funeral. She was, if possible, more radiantly beautiful than ever, and I could not believe that she was dead. The lips were redder than before, and on the cheeks was a delicate bloom. Is this a juggle? Are you convinced now? See her teeth. They are even sharper than before. With this and this, the little children can be bitten. Are you of belief now, friend Jack? No, she may have been placed here since last night. Indeed, that is so. And by whom? But someone has done it. And yet she has been dead one week. Most people in that time would not look so. I had no answer for this. Van Helsing studied the face of the dead woman, raising the eyelids and looking at the eyes. She was bitten by the vampire when she was in a trance, sleepwalking. What? You start. In trance she dies, and in trance she is undead too. There is no malign there, see, and so it make hard that I must kill her in her sleep. What? Kill her? If she is dead, as you believe, then what difference, my friend? How will you do it? I shall cut off her head and fill her mouth with garlic. Then I shall drive a stake through her body. Last night, I was almost willing to accept Van Helsing's monstrous ideas. But now, after a good sleep, I wonder if his mind can have become in any way unhinged. Today, Arthur and I came into Van Helsing's room. So, good. I want your permission, my boy, to do what I think good this night. It is, I know, much to ask. Dr. Van Helsing, if you can assure me that what you intend is Christian and honourable, then I give my consent. I accept your limitation. What is it we are to do? I want you to come with me to the churchyard at Kingstead. Where Lucy is buried. And when there? To enter the tomb. Is this some monstrous joke? No, we must open the coffin. This is too much. Miss Lucy is dead, is it not so? Yes, then there can be no wrong to her. But if she be not dead... Has there been some mistake? Has she been buried alive? I go no further than to say that she might be undead. What do you mean? Is this all a nightmare, or what is it? We are truly on the verge of one, Mr. Holmwood. 
I ask you, may I cut off the head of the dead Miss Lucy? No! Not for the wide world would I consent to the mutilation of her dead body. Are you insane? I have a duty to do, a duty to others, a duty to you, a duty to the dead, and by God, I shall do it. All I ask you now is that you come with me, that you look and listen. Come with us, Arthur, as her protector. It was just a quarter before midnight when we got into the churchyard. The night was dark, with occasional gleams of moonlight between the dents of the heavy clouds that scudded across the sky. When we'd come close to the tomb, I looked well at Arthur. Are you all right? Yes. Yes. This is her coffin. Jack, you were with me here yesterday. Was the body of Miss Lucy in here? It was. It's empty. We will wait outside. Things much stranger are yet to be. Come. It seemed fresh and pure in the night air after the terror of that vault. Van Helsing pointed, and far down the avenue of yews we saw a white figure advance. A dim white figure, which held something dark at its breast. The figure stopped, and at that moment a ray of moonlight fell upon the masses of driving clouds and showed in startling prominence a dark-haired woman dressed in the cerements of the grave. We could not see the face, for it was bent down over what we saw to be a fair-haired child. Lucy. It was Lucy Westenra, but yet how changed. The sweetness was turned to adamantine, heartless cruelty, and the purity to wantonness. Van Helsing raised his lantern. By the light that fell on Lucy's face, we could see that the lips were crimson with fresh blood, and that the stream had trickled over her chin and stained the purity of her lawn death robe. When Lucy saw us, she drew back. Her eyes ranged over us. They blazed with unholy light, and the face became wreathed with a voluptuous smile. With a careless motion, she flung to the ground the child that up to now she'd clutched to her breast. Lucy advanced to Arthur with outstretched arms and a wanton smile. Come to me, Arthur. Leave these others and come to me. My arms are hungry for you. Come, and we can rest together. Come, my husband, come. Van Helsing sprang forward and held between them his little golden crucifix. No! No, it hurts! No! Within a foot or two of the door, Lucy stopped. If ever a face meant death, we saw it at that moment. Answer me, oh, my friend. Am I to proceed in my work? Do as you will, friend. Do as you will. Returning to the tomb, we entered. Lucy lay there in all her death beauty. Is this really Lucy's body? It is her body, and yet not it. But wait a while, and you shall see her as she was and is. So, 
What are these things? It is a soldering iron, operating knives, a round wooden stake. And a hammer. I see. All that die from the praying of the undead become themselves undead and prey on their kind. And so the circle goes on, ever widening. Tell me what I am to do. Take the stake in your left hand, ready to place to the point over the heart, and the hammer in your right. Then, when we begin our prayer for the dead, strike in God's name that all may be well with the dead whom we love, and that the undead pass away. Arthur took the stake and the hammer. Van Helsing opened his missile and began to read. There was... Arthur placed the point over the heart, and as I looked, I could see its dint in the white flesh. The thing in the coffin writhed. The body twisted in wild contortions. The sharp white teeth champed till the lips were cut, and the mouth was smeared with a crimson foam. Stop! Stop! Is Lucy Kate? Isn't she? She is. She is God's true dead, whose soul is with him. Arthur bent, shaken to the core, and kissed her. Then we cut off the head and filled the mouth with garlic. We soldered up the leaden coffin, screwed on the coffin lid, and gathering up our belongings, came away. The 30th of September. Mr. Harker arrived at nine o'clock. He got his wife's wire just before starting. Strange that it never struck me that Carfax, the very next house, might be the Count's hiding place. We had enough clues from Renfield... Things bright and the bundle of letters relating to the purchase of the house were with the transcript. I looked in on Renfield. He was calm, singing. Mr Harker, Mrs Harker, it's a pleasure. Ours too. A pleasure to meet you, Doctor. And I'm sorry for your recent... for everything you've been through. Well, we shall all work together. It will be for the greater good. Absolutely. So... We have traced the Count's coffins. There should be 50 of them in the old chapel at Carfax, unless any have since been removed. We have the papers for the consignment. Good. I wonder, Doctor, might I meet your patient Renfield? I'm fascinated by him after reading your notes. I took Mr Harker to the study and Mrs Harker to Renfield's room. Renfield? The lady would like to see you. Why? She's going through the house. Very well. Let her come in, by all means. Uh, but just wait a minute till I tidy up the place. His method of tidying was peculiar. He simply swallowed all the flies and spiders in the boxes before I could stop him. Good evening, Mr Renfield. What are you doing here? My husband and I are staying on a visit with Dr Seward. Then don't stay. I pray God I may never see your sweet face again. May he bless and keep you. I'm sorry that you don't want to see me. But I do. I mean, leave here, this place. He prayeth best who loveth best, all things great and small. For the dear God who loveth us, he made and loveth all. It's Coleridge. 
Uh, rhyme of the Ancient Mariner? Yes, but who is he now who wanders the earth forever? He takes your time, not for conversation like the old sailor, but your time, full stop. He murders you by inches. I, I don't understand. Leave. Please. Go away from here. He is near. Come, Mrs. Harker. You, you rest now, Renfield. Thirtieth of September. We have all been summoned to Dr. Seward's study by the professor. This vampire which is amongst us is of himself so strong in person as twenty men. Will you join me in trying to defeat him? I answer for Mina and myself. I am with you, for Lucy's sake, if for no other reason. Dr. Seward simply nodded. We all took hands, and our solemn compact was made. So, he may not enter anywhere at the first unless there be someone who bid him to come. His power ceases at the coming of the day. Some of the boxes at Carfax have been removed. We must trace them, then capture and kill this monster. We shall break into Carfax at five in the morning. We have tools. Mrs. Harker, we shall see you at breakfast. Yes, Professor. I shall go to bed and pretend to sleep. At 4 a.m., Renfield sent for me. I found him excited, but far more rational than usual. You need to release me from the asylum and send me home. I am recovered. I am sane. I desire to go at once, this very hour, this very moment, if I may. Time presses. I have work to do. Good night. Dr. Seward, please. Let me out of this house at once. Send me away how you will or where you will. In a straight waistcoat, manacled and leg-ironed, even to jail. But let me go. Come. No more of this. Go to your bed. Try to behave more discreetly. Without a word, he rose and, moving over, sat down on the side of the bed. You will, I trust, Dr. Seward, do me the justice to bear in mind later on that I did what I could to convince you tonight. I will, Renfield. We took our way to the abandoned house next door. I have my whistle. We'll stay together, won't we? It's not for us. It just might be useful. A crucifix for each of you and put these flowers round your neck so here we are in manus tuus domine the dust is almost like a carpet footsteps look yes recent ones you know this place, Jonathan. You have copied maps of it. Which is the way to the chapel? Uh, this way. Oh, what's that smell? Dry miasma. It smells like hell to me. Blood. Acrid. We must see how many of the boxes are left. Yeah. You count the far side, I'll note these. What is that movement in the corner? 18 over there. Uh, 11 here. 29 then. Throw a stone into the corner. Something is shining there and it's moving. Yes, I see it. 
Phosphorescent. <coughs> Rats. It's alive with them. These doors lead to the outside. Well, they won't just leave. They might. With this. These are your carriers. Yes. The rats poured out of the chapel. The dogs then returned to us. They frisk, no. As though they had been rabbit hunting in a summer wood. They do. They love the taste of the blood. First of October. Mina. We all overslept ourselves. Mina. I had to call Mina two or three Mina. times before she awoke. Who are you? What? Angel, are you all right? What? I'm your husband. Were you expecting a prince? Oh, hello. I, I can't move. I'm so tired. I dreamt about mist. Hmm? It became a sort of pillar of cloud in the room. Then it was a fire and two red eyes. A white face bent over me. Uh, perhaps Dr. Seward could give you a dose of chloral tonight. Yes. He said that chap Renfield wants to see you again. Does he? Well, don't go if it will upset you. Oh, no, no, but I, I will. My day has passed as though I was sleepwalking. I was so tired. Poor Mr. Renfield. He was very gentle. And when I came away, he kissed my hand. God bless you. Truly. God bless you. And all creatures. In some way, it affected me. Much. I'm crying when I think of him. Dr. Seward has given me a little opiate. A sleeping draught. A new fear comes now. That I may have been foolish in thus depriving myself of the power of waking... I might want it. At least a few of the Count's boxes were taken to a house in Piccadilly. A man was outside taking down various notice boards. Excuse me, sir. Are you the agent of this house? I wonder if you might tell me something of it. It is sold, sir. Ah. Who purchased it? It is sold, sir. Surely you do not mind letting me know so much. But I do mind. The affairs of their clients are absolutely safe in the hands of Mitchell, Sons and Candy. I act on the part of Arthur Holmwood, Lord Godamy. He was at once friendlier. I garnered some information and departed. I got a cup of tea at the aerated bread company and came down to Purfleet by the next train. Mina was looking tired and pale. She went to bed disturbed. I told the others of my findings. 
If all the missing boxes are in the Piccadilly house, then our work is near the end. But if we do not find 21, we must search until we find them. The 1st of October. I am puzzled afresh about Renfield. His moods change rapidly. How are the flies? The ancients did well when they typified the soul as a butterfly. Oh, it's a soul you're after now, is it? Oh, no. Oh, no. I want no souls. Life is all I want. I'm pretty indifferent about it all at present. He became sulky then, and so I came away. Later in the day, he sent for me. I found him sitting in the middle of the floor on his stool, a pose he always adopts for thinking. What about souls? What about them yourself? I don't want any souls. You like life. You want life. Oh, yes. But how... How are we to get the life without getting the soul also? I mean, surely you have the souls of thousands of flies and spiders and birds and cats buzzing and twittering and moaning all around you. You've got their lives, you know. You've got to put up with their souls. Something seemed to affect his imagination, for he put his fingers to his ears and shut his eyes. <laughs> to hell with you and your souls! Why do you plague me about souls? Haven't I got enough worry and pain? Forgive me, Doctor. I forgot myself. Pray do not put me in a straight waistcoat. I want to think. And I cannot think freely when my body is confined. Please. I believe that the Count has been to him, and there is some new scheme of terror afoot. I went after my round to Van Helsing and told him my suspicion. He grew very grave. I took him to Renfield, and we listened outside his door. When we entered, we saw with amazement that he'd spread out his sugar as of old. Tonight I watched him through the observation trap. He was sleeping soundly. We must sterilise all the imported earth between sunrise and sunset. What is it, Timoth? Redfield, Doctor. He's been attacked. He's on the floor in a pool of blood. What happened? I've no idea. I went to move him. His face was beaten to a pulp, sir. Pardon the expression. Could he, have, could he have done that to himself? No, sir. His back is broken. Both his right arm and leg and the whole side of his face are paralysed. But how could the two things occur? If his back was broke, he couldn't beat his head. And if his face was like that before the fall out of bed, there would be marks of it. I stared at Renfield now. A poor excuse of colours and contortions. One could hardly call this a man. Go to Dr Van Helsing. Ask him to come here at once. Van Helsing returned, bearing with him a surgical case. Send the attendant away. We must be alone with him when he becomes conscious. After the operation. Thank you, Simmons. You'd better go your round. Dr Van Helsing will operate. Sir. Simmons withdrew. The real injury was a depressed fracture of the skull. We must reduce the pressure. The whole motor area seems affected. The suffusion of the brain will increase quickly, so we must trophene at once. As Van Helsing operated, I dreaded the words Renfield might speak if he regained consciousness. He might die at any moment. 
This will operate just above the ear. Give me some water. My lips are dry. We moistened the parched lips. I have had a terrible dream. Tell us your dream, Mr. Renfield. I thought that somehow Mrs. Harker had come into the room. She came again this afternoon. She didn't look the same. I don't care for the pale people. I like them with lots of blood in them. And hers all seem to have run out. He has been taking the life out of her. Hot in him. We rushed to the Harker's door. We threw ourselves against it. With a crash, it burst open. The moonlight was bright. On the bed beside the window lay Jonathan Harker, breathing heavily as though in a stupor. Kneeling on the near edge of the bed, facing outwards, was the white-clad figure of his wife. By her side stood a tall, thin man clad in black. His face was turned from us. It was the Count. With his left hand, he held both Mrs. Harker's hands, keeping them away with her arms at full tension. His right hand gripped her by the back of the neck, forcing her face down on his bosom. Her white nightdress was smeared with blood, and a thin stream trickled down the man's bare chest, which was shown by his torn-open dress. The attitude of the two had a terrible resemblance to a child forcing a kitten's nose into a saucer of milk to compel it to drink. The Count turned to us. With a wrench which threw his victim back upon the bed as though hurled from a height, he turned and sprang at us. Then he leapt through the window. Van Helsing and I moved forward to Mrs. Harker. From her throat trickled a thin stream of blood. Her eyes were mad with terror. Then she put before her face her poor, crushed hands. We can do nothing with poor Madame Mina for a few moments. I must wake Jonathan from this stupor. In God's name, what does this mean? Mina, Mina, what is it? Guard her while I look for him! No! No! Jonathan, you must not leave me. You must stay with me. Stay with us. We are here. Take my crucifix. Whilst this is close to you, no foul thing can approach. You are safe for tonight. We must be calm and take counsel together. I'm clean. I'm clean. I must touch him or kiss him no more. No, Mina, come here. Mrs. Harker, do you remember anything? There was a mist again. And the Count was there. Silence, my child. Do not play the innocent. It is not our first time. Mm. 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 
You would help these men to hunt me, but you are now flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. When I say come, you'll cross land or sea to do my bidding. Yes. 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 Then he, he, he pulled open his shirt and with his long nails opened a vein in his breast. When the blood began to... He, he, he took my hands, restrained my arms. He, he seized my neck and pressed my mouth to the wound so that I must either suffocate or swallow some of them. Mina. I want to die. It's best that I die, truly. Truly. You must not die. And we must be practical. And you can help us, Miss Mina. Infinitely. Will you? Yes. Yes. If I can. So, two of us will wait for him in the Piccadilly house. Another will search for the other earth boxes at Bermondsey and Mile End. I shall wire to my people to have horses and carriages where they'll be most convenient. No, no, we should take cabs. Are we all armed? We are. Now, Madam Mina, let me see you armed against personal attack. On your forehead I touch this piece of sacred wafer in the name of the Father, the Son, and... Ah! It hurts. There's a mark, isn't there? A burn... A scar? It's nothing, nothing. We must pledge all of us to help each other. It is so dark. I pledge and die. And die. And I. And I. We all travelled to the house in Piccadilly. We had the locks changed and entered. The stench from within was overwhelming. We waited. Believe me, my friends, we shall not have long to wait now. We should have ready some plan of attack so that we may throw away no chance. Hush. There is no time now. Have all your arms. Be ready. We waited. Suddenly the Count leapt into the room. Harker threw himself before the door. Harker had ready his great Kukuri knife. This is for my wife! <laughs> A scratch. Superficial. Compared to your wife's wounds, it is invisible. You? <laughs> oh, gold. Keep it. I shall have your wife and you can take my money. Count, huh? take the crucifix. Oh. Keep the wafer. Away, away. Keep that vile instrument of death away from me. You think to baffle me? You... Your pale faces, all in a row, like the sheep in a butcher's shop. <laughs> My revenge has just begun. Your girls, that you all love, are mine already, and soon you will be my jackals, where I want to feed. <laughs> he passed quickly through the stable door and fastened it behind him. By the time we forced it open, there was no sign of him. Later, I was awakened by Mina. 
Go. Call the professor. I want to see him at once. Two or three minutes later, Van Helsing was in the room in his dressing gown, and Arthur was with Dr. Seward at the door. Madam Mina? Professor, I want you to hypnotise me. Do it before the dawn, for I feel that now I can speak and speak freely. Be quick, for the time is short. The professor started the process. Gradually, her eyes closed and she sat stock still. Where are you? I don't know. Sleep has no place it can call its own. What do you see? I can see nothing. It is all dark. What do you hear? Lapping of water. I can hear them on the outside. Then you are on a ship. Oh, yes. There is the creaking of a chain. Metal sounding upon metal in the breeze. What are you doing? I'm still. Oh, so still it is like death. <gasps> Dr. Van Helsing placed his hands on Mina's shoulders and laid her head down softly on her pillow. We go off tomorrow, Dr. Seward, Mr. Holmwood, to find what ship and whither bound. Jonathan, you stay with Madam Mina. That day, we went to the harbour. We have seen the owner of the ship on which the Count has boarded. The box we seek is to be landed in Varna. We are to meet here in my study in half an hour and decide on our course of action. The Tsarina Catherine left the Thames yesterday morning. It will take her at least three weeks to reach Varna. But we can travel overland in three days. Tonight we can get ready and then, if all be well, we three can set out on our journey. We three? Ah. You must remain to take care of your wife. I want to consult with Mina. Very well. I watched Mina sleep, calm. Then she opened her eyes. Jonathan, I want you to promise me something on your word of honour. I promise. Promise me that you will not tell me anything of the plans formed for the campaign against the Count. Not a word. She solemnly pointed to the scar. I saw that she was in earnest. I promise. We slept, but Mina woke me early and asked me to call the professor. Dr. Van Helsing, I must go with you on your journey. But why? When the Count wills me, I must go by any device. That way you may find him. Good. You shall with us. Jonathan... You must promise me that should the time come, you will kill me. When you shall be convinced that I am so changed that it is better that I die than that I may live. You'll drive a stake through me and cut off my head. Mina. Promise. I... I promise. 15th of October, Varna. Throughout the journey, Mina slept nearly all the time. Before sunrise and sunset, however, she is very wakeful and alert. Van Helsing hypnotises her at such times. What do you see? Nothing. Dark. Waves lapping against the ship. Water. The wind is high. I can hear it in the shrouds and the 
the bow throws back the foam. We wait now, here in Varna. Another day, and no tidings of the Tsarina Catherine. She ought to be here by now. I fear that the Count is escaping us. I have a telegram. The Count's boat entered Galatz at one o'clock today. He's tricked us. When does the next train start for Galatz? At 6.30 tomorrow morning. How on earth do you know that? If we go to Castle Dracula, we must go by Galatz, or at any rate through Bucharest, so I learned the train times. You, Arthur, go to the station and get the tickets. Jonathan goes to the agent of the ship and get from him letters to the agent in Galatz with authority to search the ship. Madame Mina, Harker and Arthur left to make preparations. Van Helsing saw the worry in my face and confirmed my thoughts with his own theory. In the trance of three days ago, the Count sent to Madame Mina his spirit to read her mind. He learned then that we are here. Now he make his most effort to escape us. 30th of October. At nine o'clock, Dr. Van Helsing, Dr. Seward and I called on the agents of Hapgood in the River Harbour. They took us on board the Tsarina Catherine. We met the captain who told us of his voyage. He said that in all his life he had never had so favourable a run. Oh, he had a big box which had been put on board by a queer-looking old man. The Armenians wanted me, right or wrong, to take out the box and fling it in the river, but an hour before sunup, a man took it. He had his papers all right, and I'm glad I was to be rid of the damn thing. What was the name of the man who took it? Uh, here's the receipt. Signed, Emmanuel Hildesheim. We found Hildesheim in his office. He told us he had received a letter from London telling him to collect a box which would arrive at Galatz in the Tsarina Catherine and to give it to a certain Petrov Skinsky. That was all he knew. We then sought for Skinsky. You are his neighbour, yes? Yes, but I have not seen him for some days. Does this boy know him? Who is running down the street uh, as though he were on fire? Everyone knows Skinsky. His throat had been torn open. Van Helsing and I walked back to the hotel and relayed our news to the others. My theory is that some Slovaks are transporting the Count by water to his castle. In my trance I heard cows low and water, swirling, level with my ears and the creaking of wood. The Count was on a river in an open boat. Look, the river most suitable is either the Prut or the Sorette. Hmm. We'll need a steam launch and horses. Professor Van Helsing and I are to leave by the 11.40 train tonight for Varesti, where we are to get a carriage to drive to the Borgo Pass. Jonathan sets off on a steamer, and Arthur and Dr. Seward on horses. We are rushing along through the darkness. The cold from the river seems to rise up and strike us. 1st of November, evening. We have found nothing of the boat we seek. We have now passed into the Bistritza, and if we are wrong in our surmise, our chance is gone. We have overhauled every boat, big and little. If we could only go faster, but we cannot. The engines are doing their utmost. Seward and Arthur ride along the other river, and soon we shall meet. 31st of October. Arrived at Vereshti at noon. We have 70 miles before us. Later, the houses are very few. The deer horses are patient and good. We got to the Borgo Pass just after sunrise yesterday. This is the way. How know you it? 
Jonathan wrote of it. We go on for long, long hours and hours. We are going up and up, and all is oh so wild and rocky, as though it were the end of the world. We have had only the rest needful for the horses. We must push on. We shall never feel happy till we get the launch in sight again. There are signs of snow coming, and if it falls heavy, it will stop us. All yesterday we travel, always getting closer to the mountains and moving into a more and more wild and desert land. Madame Mina still sleep and sleep. Finally, I too held down my head and slept. When I awoke, I saw a castle. What are you doing, Professor? Why are you drawing a circle around me? I break the wafer down so. And now you are well guarded. Will you not come over to the fire? Yes. Ow! It hurts. The circle hurts me. Good. Then it works. I left Madame Mina sleeping within the holy circle. I took my way to the castle. The doors were all open. I broke them off the rusty hinges lest I might not get out. I found my way to the old chapel. The air was oppressive, sulfurous fume. There were at least three graves to find. I search, and I find one of them. She lay in her vampire sleep so full of life that I shudder as though I have come to do murder. I brace myself and find by wrenching away tombtops one other of the sisters, then the other fair sister. There was one great tomb more lordly than all the rest. On it was but one word. Dracula. I laid in Dracula's tomb, some of the wafer. Then began my terrible task, and I dreaded it. It was butcher work. One. Again. We ride and ride. The snow brings the wolves down from the mountains. We ride to the death of someone, God alone knows who or where or what, or when or how it may be. Before I left the castle, I so fixed its entrances that never more can the Count enter there undead. Then I stepped into the circle where Madame Mina slept. She woke. Come. Let's leave this awful place. Jonathan must be nearby now. We started walking down the mountain. We found a sort of natural hollow in a rock between two boulders. 
The professor took me by the hand and drew me in. See, if the wolves do come, I can meet them one by one. Taking his field glasses from the case, he began to search the horizon. Look, Madam Mina, look, look. Not far off came a group of mounted men hurrying along. In the midst of them was a cart. They were gypsies. On the cart was a great square chest. They are flogging the horses. They are racing for the sunset. We may be too late. Oh, God's will be done. Then there was a blinding rush of driving snow and the whole landscape was blotted out. It soon passed, however, and once more his glasses were fixed on the plain. Look, look, look. See, two horsemen follow fast, coming up from the south. It must be Mr. Holmwood and the doctor. Looking around, I saw on the north side another man riding at breakneck speed. It was Jonathan. Closer and closer they drew. The gypsies reined in, and Arthur dashed up at one side. But the leader of the gypsies lashed the horses forward. Jonathan raised his Winchester rifle. At the same moment, Dr Van Helsing and I rose behind the rock and pointed our weapons at the Sigony. The gypsies tightened their reins and stopped. Every one of them drew a knife or pistol. Our men threw themselves from their horses and dashed towards the cart. The gypsies formed round it in a sort of undisciplined endeavour. Jonathan jumped upon the cart, raised the great box and flung it over the wheel to the ground. Arthur had to use force to pass through his side of the ring of Sigony. He parried them with his bowie knife. But now Arthur was clutching at his side, blood spurting through his fingers. Jonathan attacked one end of the chest, attempting to prise off the lid. Arthur attacked the other end. The lid was yielding. The sun was almost down. I saw the Count lying within the box. He was deathly pale. Now his red eyes saw the sinking sun, and his look of hate turned to one of triumph. But on the instant, Jonathan's great knife sheared through the throat. Arthur's bowie knife plunged into the heart. The whole body crumbled into dust. The gypsies turned, without a word, and rode away as if for their lives. Arthur held his hand pressed to his side. The blood still gushed through his fingers. It was worth for this to die. Look, look. Now, God be thanked that all this has not been in vain. See, Madam Mina's forehead, the curse has passed away. And to our bitter grief, Arthur died, a gallant gentleman, his blood upon the snow. The walls of my castle are broken. And I am no longer young. But gone? Do you suppose? Truly? Shh, my child. Shh. 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 Shh.
In part two of Dracula by Bram Stoker, adapted by Rebecca Lenkiewicz, Count Dracula was played by Nicky Henson, Dr. Seward by Charles Edwards, Van Helsing by John Dougal, and Renfield by Don Gillet. Mina Harker was played by Ellie Kendrick, Jonathan by Michael Shelford, Arthur by Joe Sims, and Lucy by Scarlett Brooks. The child was Harper Bone. Other roles were played by Christine Absalom, Robert Blythe, and Patrick Brennan. The music was performed by Adriana Feshteu. Dracula was adapted by Rebecca Lenkiewicz and directed by Jessica Dromgoul. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.